Have you heard what's happening in Calgary, Canada? Home to some of the world's best researchers and innovators in life sciences, Calgary is advancing healthcare solutions to solve global challenges. Calgary's dedication to the life sciences sector is evident in its labs, hospitals, schools, and the minds of its people. With its top institutions producing internationally recognized research and more than 110 life science companies backed by a highly skilled pool of talent, the life sciences sector is accelerating innovation in Calgary. If you're a bright mind or a bright company, Calgary is just the place for you. Take a closer look at calgarylifesciences.com. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com forward slash podcast and enter the code BIOREPORT. That's deepdive, D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E dot com forward slash podcast. And the code is BIOREPORT, one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. As the treatment of cancers has moved toward an increasing emphasis on the role the immune system can play in fighting tumors, a range of new ways to enlist and train the immune system have emerged. Candle Therapeutics is developing oncolytic viral immunotherapies, which it says combines both anti-tumor activity while also stimulating the immune system. We spoke to Paul Peter Tack, president and CEO of Candel, about oncolytic viral immunotherapies how they work, and why they may be able to bring benefits to the treatment of a range of solid tumors. Paul Peter, thanks for joining us. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. We're going to talk about Candel oncolytic viral immunotherapies and, and how these therapies you're developing combine killing tumor cells while stimulating the immune system. Before we get into what Candel is doing, though. I, I'd like to start with how Candel came about. It was actually known as Advantagene and, and became Candel in December 2020 after acquiring Perefagene. 
What was Advantaging doing and, and how did the combination change the company? Yeah, so Candel Therapeutics is the integration of three components. Uh, first, Perifogen, that's where the HSV uh, platform came from. We in-licensed an HSV gene construct that we called CAN3110, which is in development in recurrent high-grade glioma. And the investigational medicine that we have most of our experience, CAN2409, which is an adenoviral gene construct, was developed by Advantagene. We put all of this together. Uh, a new, mainly new executive uh, team joined the company, and this became known as Candel Therapeutics at the end of last year. You had worked at GSK previously. Uh, you, you entered the venture capital world. What attracted you to take the CEO spot at Candel? What did you find compelling about the opportunity? Yeah, I would primarily define myself as a physician, a physician, a physician scientist who has always tried to develop better treatments for patients who uh, need, uh, who are in unmet need. Uh, as a treating physician, as an academic, as the chief immunology officer and the global head of development at GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, uh, and also as a, uh, a venture partner at Flagship Pioneering. Uh, I learned quite a lot about creating discovery platform companies. I joined Caldel Therapeutics because I saw two molecules in the clinic that have the potential to be transformational for patients with multiple solid tumors, including uh, high-grade glioma, uh, a very difficult to treat form of brain cancer, uh, prostate cancer, in particular early localized non-metastatic disease, where no new treatments have been approved in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, pancreatic cancer, of course, also very difficult uh, to treat disease. And non-small cell lung cancer, in particular patients who exhibit an inadequate response to the currently available first-line treatment. So I saw this potential and I thought that my background in terms of knowing how to develop a medicine, knowing what patients need, uh, and knowing how to lead an organization, whether small or large, uh, I may have an impact in this company. Gandel's working to develop oncolytic viral immunotherapies. The first of this class of therapies was approved by the FDA in 2015, but this is still a relatively new area. What are these therapies and how do they work? Yeah, I agree. This is still relatively new. And it takes time before a new modality uh, has shown to be uh, important in terms of really providing uh, benefit to patients. Uh, just think about CAR T-cells. It took decades before um, uh, this basically went from idea into an approved medicine. And this is true for many other therapies as well. Think of biologicals, antibodies. It took many, many years before it became clear that this was a very strong modality. And I would also consider the oncolytic viral immunotherapies as a modality. So it is true that the first was approved in 2015, which gives initial proof of concept uh, for the whole approach here. But the question really is, what does the oncolytic viral Im immunotherapy look like? What is the virus? What is the promoter? What is the transgene, if any? Uh, what is the indication where you develop it? What is your uh, vision for the medicine? 
uh, what is the power of your late stage clinical trials to answer the question? So it, it's all about that. So we've seen initial proof of concept, concept for TVAC or Imlidgic, when it was approved for the treatment of uh, melanoma. Our approach is quite different, use of different virus, different transgene, etc. Uh, and we have initial proof of activity, not only in rodents, in mice and in rats, but also across multiple solid tumors in patients. You genetically modify the viruses you use. What exactly do you do and what's the effect of this alteration? Yeah, I answer your question for three different um, approaches. The, the lead compound that's in the clinic is called CAN2409. This is where we have most of our experience. We are in phase three uh, in early localized non-metastatic prostate cancer. We expect to be in phase three as well in high-grade glioma in the first part of next year with multiple other clinical trials as well. So what does CAN249 look like? It's a non-replicating, so replication deficient uh, adenovirus encoding an enzyme called thymidine kinase. We inject it into the tumor in indications where this is straightforward and feasible and aligned with normal clinical practice. So that leads to local thymidine kinase expression, local enzyme expression. And then we give the patient an oral small molecule. So these are tablets that are taken for two weeks. And the name is valacyclovir. And this has been developed, uh, in fact, by GSK many years ago. And it has been approved for the treatment of viral infections, HSV infections. And in fact, it's off pattern, it's generic. So the costs are quite low and we know a lot about this medicine. So we give this to the patient, not because of its antiviral properties, but because we know that under the influence of the local expression of thymidine kinase, after intratumoral injection of CAN249, valacyclovir is converted into a toxic uh, compound, toxic metabolite, which is a nucleotide analog. And that leads to cell death at the side of the tumor. It leads to a highly immunogenic form of cell death. So it activates the immune system. At the same time, because we use an adenoviral to deliver the gene to the side of the tumor, we give a very strong pro-inflammatory signal because that's what adenoviruses do. In other words, we create the optimal conditions to immunize the patient against the patient's own variety of cancer new antigens that are released as a result of this highly immunogenic cell death. In other words, we immunize the patient against the injected tumor and the uninjected distant metastasis. So this leads to a so-called abscopal effect. We immunize the patient against the patient's own tumor injected locally and a distant uninjected metastasis. Second, a second medicine that we develop in the clinic is called CAN3110. This has been engineered to result in a replication competent HSV, herpes simplex virus, which um, actually in contrast to TVEC or Imlidgic that we spoke about earlier, which has been approved for the treatment of melanoma, actually has an active so-called 34.5 gene. And TVEC has deleted this gene because of the potential safety issues. 
However, we have reinserted this gene because it is also associated with activity against the tumor cells. But we've done it in a controlled way through molecular engineering. So we reinserted one allele for the 34.5 gene under the control of the so-called nestin promoter. And nestin is absent from the healthy adult brain, but it is strongly upregulated in the high-grade glioma cancer cells. In other words, we have created a tumor-specific, replication-competent HSV gene construct that will specifically target and attack the cancer cells in the brain after injection. And then third, we have created a new discovery platform based on HSV, which allows us to insert up to five genes into the virus to modulate the tumor microenvironment by design. So we can do this again and again. And now I'm speaking about our uh, discovery platform, uh, which is still very much in stealth mode. How does this approach compare to what we see with something like a CAR T cell therapy? I mean, it seems like a much more multimodal approach. And the beauty of our approach is that it's off the shelf. Right? So it's much easier to produce. The cost of goods are much lower. The complexity of the whole chain to get it from the lab to the patient is much more straightforward. And basically we leverage the patient's own immune system. So we don't modulate the T cells um, ex vivo outside the body of the patient. No, we inject an engineered virus to activate the immune system of the, the patient to recognize the tumor new antigens, a whole variety of these antigens. And therefore, this is a patient-specific approach, which is very straightforward, how we can produce this and how we can deliver this leading to long-term responses. So the best way to, to think about it is we use an oncolytic viral immunotherapy to immunize the patient, like a vaccination, not against one new antigen, because then there's the risk that it leads to um, tumor cells evading the immune system. And we've seen such examples in the past that we basically immunize it against a whole variety, which makes it very difficult for the tumor to escape from the recognition and the killing process by the T cells, and these are CD8 positive cytotoxic tumor infiltrating lymphocytes that we teach how to recognize and how to kill the, the tumor itself of the patient. And is the expectation that these would be used as monotherapies or in combination with other therapies? So we've shown that we can use CAN249 as monotherapy, we've shown single agent activity, single agent meaning here, the combination of CAN249 injection and the pro-drug, uh, valacyclovir. We've shown that across multiple solid tumors. Um, so this is safe and effective, but often you will need uh, multiple modalities to really in induce disease remission, absence of disease and cure in the patient. So we've also shown that we can combine CAN249, uh, and it's important to note that this has been well tolerated and quite safe, as we've shown in many hundreds of patients. We recently presented these data at a scientific meeting that allows us to combine it with chemotherapy, where appropriate, or radiotherapy, or surgery, as we do in uh, prostate cancer, as well as in uh, the treatment of high-grade glioma, 
and also with the com in the combination with immune checkpoint inhibitors like PD-1 inhibitors or PD-L1 inhibitors. So they will use it in the best way, uh, depending on the indication and the setting, that we have already quite a lot of experience combining it with different forms of standard of care. You're developing therapies for a number of different tumor types. How specific are treatments tailored to tumor types and to what extent are you able to engineer uh, a therapy to treat a specific type of tumor? Yeah, we've shown initial proof of activity in mouse models, uh, sometimes in rodent models, but also in patients in pancreatic cancer, in high-grade glioma. Most of these patients have glioblastoma. This is a very difficult to treat form of brain cancer. In prostate cancer, actually in early disease, but also in later stages of the disease. At this moment, we are pursuing early disease. Pancreatic cancer. But we also have data in other indications, like pediatric, high-grade glioma, um, retinoblastoma, the tumor in, of the eye in children, complicated by micrometastases in the vitreous compartment. These are called tumor seeds. Uh, we have initial proof of activity in mesothelioma and other forms of pleural cancers. So we believe that this may work in multiple solid tumors. So we've chosen the indications that we are pursuing at this time based on the scientific rationale, the medical unmet need, the developability, and also the commercial opportunity. Uh, but we do not believe that the efficacy will be limited to the indications that I just described. Because basically, we mobilize the CD8-positive T-cells of the patient against his or her own tumor. So there's a real opportunity to expand at the right time into other indications as well. So this is all about CAN2409, the adenoviral gene construct. So let's now focus on CAN3110, the replication-competent uh, HSV, herpes simplex virus gene construct that we test in hybrid glioma. So this is under the control of Nestin. And we found that Nestin is not only overexpressed by tumor cells in hybrid glioma, but also in other forms of cancer, even in tumors outside the brain, which opens up the possibility to expand again into other indications that are characterized by nesting overexpression, so uh, precision medicine uh, approach, where we can also have a diagnostic biomarker, which will be nesting expression, so we can optimize the benefit risk for patients. We've come to think of cancers in terms of their underlying molecular drivers. Are, is your therapy agnostic to the mutations driving tumor growth? We do not know at this time whether the underlying mutations, like the number of mutations at baseline, is a predictor of the efficacy of treatment. This has been shown actually for immune checkpoint inhibitors. But this is a fundamentally different approach. Immune checkpoint inhibitors will induce a very strong adaptive immune response, which is mainly non-specific. What we do is we create or induce initially an innate immune response, which is followed by a specific adaptive immune response mediated by CD8-positive T cells. Um, we don't know at this time whether the number of mutations will be 
a predictor that we could use as a diagnostic biomarker. We're doing very extensive uh, biomarker research at this moment. So we'll get the answer in the future. At this time, uh, we treat uh, all comers in our trials with CAN 349. Uh, and again, for CAN 3110, uh, we will be focused on um, being driven by nesting overexpression in the future. And how are the therapies delivered and does delivery pose any challenge to the range of cancers you can treat? Yeah, at this moment, we focus completely on intra-tumoral delivery. So we inject this into the tumor. And the reason is that this is the proven way to immunize a patient. If you just think about a vaccination against COVID-19, for example, right? we don't give these vaccinations by an intravenous injection. We inject it into the deltoid muscle tissue. That's how, how we typically immunize. So this is what, what we have uh, chosen to do for indications where it is straightforward to do this. For example, in the prostate, the treating physician is a urologist. These are surgeons that put needles into prostates every day because they take um, bi uh, biopsies to establish a diagnosis. And they use relatively large needles to take these biopsies, 18K needles. For the injection of CAN249 into the prostate, we only need a 22-gauge needle, which is the same as the needle used for COVID-19 vaccination. So super thin. The whole procedure takes about 15 minutes. We know that the urologists um, like doing procedures. That's why they became surgeons, I guess. Uh, they will be reimbursed for this procedure if we have an approved approach here. And we've also measured the patient experience, and we will soon present these data showing that generally this is very well tolerated by patients. So we know that for CAN 249 injection into the prostate, this is well tolerated, easy, and aligned with clinical practice. So let's now discuss the procedure in um, first-line treatment of high-grade glioma. Here it's combined with neurosurgery. So we use this in combination with optimal standard of care. So the neurosurgeon will remove the tumor, the high-grade glioma, that's the difficult part. And then in the same procedure, the neurosurgeon will infiltrate the wound bed with CAN249, which is the easy part of the procedure. And the reason is that we know that in nearly all cases, there are remaining tumor cells in the wound bed on a microscopical level. This is exactly why the prognosis is so poor in this condition. And we use this actually, again, to immunize the patient, to teach the immune cells there how to recognize these remaining cells. In non-small cell lung cancer, for example, CAN249 can be delivered during diagnostic bronchoscopy. So again, this is aligned with normal clinical practice. I know that some people think, well, that this sounds kind of scary, right? You need a needle to inject this into a tumor. As a physician who has treated patients for more than 25 years, I tell you that there's no place in the body that cannot be reached in a relatively easy way with a needle. And every procedure that has shown benefit risk and cost effectiveness, and that is approved, will be implemented in clinical practice. Think of stem cell transplantation bone marrow transplantation. Nobody would ask the question, is that even feasible? This, these procedures are much, much more difficult than just injecting an, an oncolytic viral immunotherapy 
into the tumor as I just described. <laughs> Sorry. You're in late stage testing for prostate cancer. This is your, your lead indication for CAN 2409. What do you know about the efficacy from the studies that have been done to date? We've shown initial evidence of efficacy across multiple indications within prostate cancer. So we've done an open-label clinical trial in the past. We followed the patients for many years, for more than uh, five years median value. So we have a lot of experience, not only in patient numbers, but also in terms of long-term follow-up. And we looked at disease-free survival. And we compared these patients, these results, in a meta-analysis that was very carefully conducted to published open studies, open-label studies, in the same period of time, so the same background medication, with exactly the same standard of care. So we're very carefully matched. And this has been reviewed with the FDA in great detail. And we could show a significant improvement in terms of disease-free survival in low-risk prostate cancer and in intermediate-risk prostate cancer and in high-risk prostate cancer. So a very consistent signal. If you look at the gold standard here, which is what do you see when you take biopsies and you analyze them under the microscope, they could show a significant improvement in all the patients, uh, all the patient groups who received CAN 249 on top of standard of care compared to standard of care alone. Also, when we looked at other biomarkers, like soluble biomarkers that you can measure in the blood, the PSA levels, a very consistent improvement uh, across the, the patients who received CAN249. Uh, so this is the most important because that's the indication we are currently pursuing, because that's where the big unmet need is. Everybody else seems to go after late-stage metastatic disease. But we actually do have data in late-stage disease. And for example, in patients who were failed radiotherapy, that we were able to show the, the effects of monotherapy. If you just inject CAN249 in these patients who have progression of the disease in spite of previous radiotherapy, you inject CAN249 into the prostate, you give the prodrug, valacyclovir, nothing else. And you look at these soluble biomarkers that you can measure in the blood, PSA levels, they could show a consistent decrease in most of the patients after injection of CAN249. And in some patients, without giving any other therapy, we could show that this was sustained over many months. And as this is, of course, uh, difficult to treat form of cancer, they failed already standard of care. Over time, PSA levels would go up. In some of these patients, we've been able to repeat the treatment with CAN249 alone. And we could show again, decrease in, in uh, PSA level. So we have proof of activity across multiple sub-indications in prostate cancer, which gave a lot of, conf a lot of confidence uh, that this may well work. The FDA agreed, uh, which is important, they agreed with how we did the meta-analysis. And this basically underpins the special protocol assessment that was agreed with the FDA, which basically means that we are doing a potentially uh, regulatory uh, clinical trial right, that may lead to approval, the FDA has confirmed in writing that if we are able to achieve a primary endpoint, that this will be an approved therapy in this indication. 
Well, what's known about the safety of 2409? How specific is the activity to tumors? And have you seen any off-target effects? We have um, a lot of uh, data in more than 700 patients now. Um, in the past, we have published results in a phase two clinical trial where we could not observe any uh, um, serious adverse events after Ken 249. We basically saw minor adverse events in the radiotherapy group, which was not higher than what you would expect if patients would have received uh, radiotherapy alone. Um, we did find minor uh, flu-like symptoms that lasted less than 24 hours which can be uh, linked to the use of CAN249. This is no surprise. In fact, this is what you would like to see because you in inject an, an adenovirus into the tumor to create a pro-inflammatory environment to convert a cold tumor into a hot tumor from an immunological perspective. So this is very comparable to what you see after injection of, let's say, the AstraZeneca vaccine against COVID-19 or the Janssen vaccine. These are also non-replicating adenoviral gene constructs encoding a certain uh, gene. In this case, it's uh, encoding for the spike protein for COVID-19, for the coronavirus, of course. Uh, but you see the same effects of the adenovirus. More recently, just a few weeks ago, Dr. Scott Egener, who is the principal investigator for one of our clinical trials, uh, professor of urology, uh, presented the data uh, at the scientific meeting uh, based on the much larger population of patients, basically reinforcing the same message, that this is generally safe and well-tolerated. Is anything known about recurrence at this point? What, what have you seen in that regard? In terms of recurrence after treatment? Yes. So in prostate cancer, uh, we have um, some data, as, which I alluded to, in patients who had failed radiotherapy, where we actually tested for proof of mechanism the effects of CAN249, where we could show a clear decrease in PSA levels in the majority of the patients. But over time, uh, disease came back. We did not believe that we would cure the patients with monotherapy here. But we had long-lasting um, uh, effects, actually. Moving forward, we would think that in patients with intermediate to high-risk prostate cancer, you would need to combine this with optimal standard of care. And first question is, of course, is there actually a problem to solve here? So why wouldn't you just use uh, optimal standard of care in early intermediate to high-risk prostate cancer? Well, the reality is that prostate cancer in men is still the second most common cause of mortality, of death due to cancer in the US, and the same pattern um, is seen in other countries. So it's still a huge unmet need. This has not been solved at all. And we try to optimize the effects. In, for example, high-grade glioma, the median overall survival at this moment with optimal standard of care, typically consisting of neurosurgery, um, chemotherapy if indicated, uh, radiotherapy, is about 15 months. So it's very short, actually, right? Huge amount needs, awful disease. So this is where we combine CAN249 infiltrated in the wound bed during neurosurgery, as I described, with optimal, optimal standard of care. We've done a phase 2A clinical trial where in the active treatment group of patients with glioblastoma. So most high-grade glioma patients have glioblastoma. 
where it was possible to do a total gross total resection. In other words, during surgery, it was possible to remove at least 95% of the tumor. We achieved a median overall survival of about 25 months. I think this is unheard of. But of course, we have not cured the patients, uh, and nobody else has. But I'm not aware of any data that look more promising than this. So we see huge um, um, steps forward here, but we would assume that we would need to combine this with other forms of uh, uh, or generally accepted standard of care. And if all goes well, when do you expect to file for approval? We expect to see the data uh, for the phase three clinical trial in prostate cancer in 2024. Um, so we would probably file for approval in 2025. Of course, I will do anything I can to accelerate timelines, but I cannot promise that, we, that timelines are already tight because you need to follow up to show the separation between uh, optimal standard of care compared to CAN 24-9 plus optimal standard of care. Uh, but when I was at GSK, I've been able to reduce the timelines in phase two across the company uh, by 25%. So we pressure test everything and we are exploring whether we can bring anything forward. But these are the timelines that we have uh, communicated externally. And is the expectation that you'd commercialize this on your own or would you be seeking a partner? Uh, we are aiming for success and believe that we could commercialize it ourselves. Uh, but of course, if there's one thing that pharmaceutical companies are really good at, it's late stage development and commercialization. So it's possible, uh, depending on what the deal could look like, that we would partner uh, or collaborate in, in a different way. Uh, but at this time, we are doing all the evidence generation to be able uh, to uh, commercialize this ourselves at some point with or without a partner. Candel completed a $72 million IPO earlier this year. It was a little less than you had originally set out to raise. How's that money being used and, and how far will it take you? So the, the IPO has allowed us to deliver on our portfolio in prostate cancer. We will have uh, the data in another clinical trial that I did not describe in low to intermediate risk prostate cancer. This is the so-called active surveillance population where we evaluate effects of monotherapy uh, of CAN 249. This clinical trial will read out in 2023 uh, and we'll get to this point based on the, uh, the proceeds that we have secured. We will have data in non-small cell lung cancer. We're doing a very exciting clinical trial in patients who can basically group together as immune checkpoint inhibitor inadequate responders. This is an open-label clinical trial. And based on the kinetics of the immune res response that we aim to induce, we expect to see the first clinical responses uh, in the first half of 2022. So this is in the proceeds. Um, we will have data in uh, hydrate glioma, glioblastoma, where we combine our treatment plus standard of care with OPDIFO, the PD-1 inhibitor developed by BMS. Uh, in fact, we will have already data at the end of this year. This has been invited for an oral oral presentation at the scientific meeting at the Snow Society for Neuro-Oncology. We will have data in pancreatic cancer based on an ongoing phase two clinical trial. This will be initial efficacy data that we expect in 2023. And we will have additional data in recurrent hydroglioma 
with Ken 3110. Um, Professor Nino Kiyoka, the head of the Brigham and Women's Hospital, one of the key leaders in the world in the field of high-grade glioma, presented in an oral presentation at ESCO the initial clinical efficacy data. Uh, very soon we will present uh, additional immunological and biomarker data that look all very exciting. So this is all included. So we will deliver on this portfolio with many shots on goal, two platforms, two medicines in the clinic across multiple solid tumors. And we have created value in this company based on the newly, for, newly created discovery platform based on HSV. If we will, in a very sophisticated way, modulate the tumor microenvironment. Uh, so this is uh, early discovery. So that's the second big pillar. And third, we will continue to finalize our manufacturing capability in Needham, not too far from Boston, uh, so that we will be able to produce CAN249 and CAN3110 and potentially other viruses uh, ourselves at the right time. Paul Peter Tack, President and CEO of Candel Therapeutics. Paul Peter, thanks so much for your time today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.